Hi, and welcome back to the Russ and Randy podcast, everybody. I just wanted to warn you that today's tips in 10, that is practical tips in 10 minutes or fewer, to help you brand and market your practice or hospital, will be a little bit more than 10 minutes. Not too much, maybe 12 or 13 minutes, but this is worth 12 or 13 minutes of your time. I'll be interviewing Dr. Brian Vardabedian, who has been one of the early adopters in the digital world of physicians who embrace digital media to better connect with their physicians, better connect with their patients, and to help educate the patient community. Dr. Brian Vardabedian is an assistant professor of pediatrics at Baylor College of Medicine and is considered one of healthcare's most influential voices on technology and medicine. His insight and thought leadership has made him a sought-after advisor. He is a frequent keynote speaker in the area of social media, technology, and the future of medicine. Dr. Vardabedian currently serves as a founding advisor to the healthcare track at South by Southwest Interactive Festival. He previously served on the external advisory board of the Mayo Clinic Center for Social Media and in 2013 was awarded the designation of Platinum Fellow by the Mayo Clinic. You can find him quoted in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, U.S. News and World Report, and CNN. Dr. Vardabedian has written extensively in the online space beginning in about 2006. He is the author of 33 Charts, and you should definitely check out this blog site. And this site has come to serve as a center of community and thought surrounding physicians and their transition into the digital world. Cited as an example of 21st century thought leadership, 33 Charts was recently chosen to be archived in its entirety in the National Library of Medicine. Whoa. You can find Dr. Vardabedian's thought leadership on his blog at 33 Charts. You can also find him on Twitter, and that Twitter handle is at Dr. Underline V. And I urge you to follow him if you are on Twitter. He has over 30,000 followers currently on Twitter, and that is a a well-deserved audience. So um, without further introduction, I'd really like to get into my chat with him, as I think he has some insightful and valuable comments on the entry of physicians into the digital space. Let me start by apologizing for the poor quality of audio during this interview. Uh, All I can say is that Broadband internet is not all that it's cracked up to be. I appreciate your indulgence and tolerance. Thanks. Enjoy the interview. So my observation is that you are one of the few physicians out there who truly gets the value of the digital world. And I wanted to ask you how you came to that intersection between your practice of medicine and the digital world. How did that start for you? How has it evolved over time for you? That's a really interesting question, Russell, because I am one of the few physicians, and I think you're probably fit in this category as well, that was born and raised and trained in the analog era, and we've witnessed the rise of the digital age, right? The rise of digital medicine, and I guess it's only been a couple of years that we've seen the first wave of interns who never held a paper chart before. I have a very, and like you, have a very interesting perspective in that I was raised in the analog world and now have enjoyed watching this evolution into the digital age. I guess I kind of fell into things in 2007 when I wrote a book uh, on acid reflux in babies called Colic Solved and all my author friends said you need to have a a blog in order to promote a book otherwise you'll, you'll go nowhere and so I dutifully started a blog with the selfish intent of selling lots of books 
looked at okay. But what happened was even more interesting was three months into it, I realized I had a platform to the world. Specifically, uh, I wrote a post on uh, the merger between Nestle and Gerber. It was picked up by one of the European financial feeds and some of the leadership from uh, Nestle in Switzerland called my hospital and wanted to know who I was. So I realized at that point, it was my oh crap moment that I kind of had a platform to the world. And so I shortly after that, got into Twitter in 2008 and was probably one of the earlier physicians on Twitter. I saw lots of things happening there. Patients and doctors were trying to communicate. A lot of the doctors were wondering, what can I say? What can I do? Uh, you know, and so I started 33 Charts really as a point of community to address some of the issues that the doctors were facing in this new public conversation. Let me clarify, primarily aimed at your colleagues, at physicians that are interested in entering the digital age. Right. That's an excellent point because everybody assumes that doctors who create content or who are involved in public dialogue are doing it just for patients. There's so much more that physicians can do besides create value for patients. That's very important. Don't get me wrong. But lots of things we can do, political action, advocacy, technology, these sorts of things. And so you're right, this was really centered on some of the issues we're facing in this public conversation. Yeah, and I appreciate that. I, I love your blog, 33 Charts, for that reason. It's really an intellectual perspective. Thank you. And I've been a little shy recently with it. I'm thinking of going into some longer form material. As you know, on 33 Charts, I keep my Posts very constrained, so typically under 400 words, I drive right to the point with a very sparse, minimalistic prose, and people tend to like that. I think on some circumstances, I've probably sold myself short by not creating longer form content for traditional media, and I'm going to try to do that over this coming year. For my own personal blog posts, I find it very difficult to limit myself. I tend to be the two to 4,000 word kind of writer. It's, I think, appreciated by uh, the Google search algorithm has really driven the ranking of my own blogs. Right. And it punishes me because I think Google really wants things at least 300 words. And the way I write things, it is not totally optimized for search. And of course, that's not why I'm doing it. I, I kind of come from the perspective that good content is the best search engine strategy. So, But it's interesting, it's this short dialogue here, we, we both learned some of the ins and outs of how to engage in the public space as physicians. And no one ever taught us that, right? Oh, not at all. Yeah, learn by doing. Right. So I have a better sense of why or how you got into it. And I think it's greatly appreciated by physicians who are considering these issues. You know, I mean, I'm looking now at um, a post here, uh, doctors and social media, damned if you engage, damned if you don't. That's, yeah. I mean, that's how we all feel. This is a, a great articulation of something we all experience as we enter the digital world. Um, I wanted to ask you how you find the time. I mean, how do you prevent your reactive space from overtaking your creative space. Um, yeah. That's got to be the biggest challenge. So let me get this right. You're an academic institution. Full-time clinical practice in an academic institution. Yeah. You're putting in a lot of hours. You're putting in at least two full-time jobs. Right. You, you could almost say that. Yeah, this issue of finding time for creative work is, the older I've become, has become very, very important to me. And I've realized the further I go along in a life, that I'm really more of a creative than anything else. And so I really want to try to make as much time to make things as I can. And I've looked at some of the times when I've been, been bored in the past, I write books and do these things like this. And so back to your core question of how I make time, um, I do try to be very, very efficient with my basic operational medical stuff, which you can only be so efficient, of course. But right. 
that's one thing because uh, only by doing that can I allocate time for doing the things I love to do. When it comes to public engagement, I really try to pace myself. And when I'm talking to new physicians who are thinking about either engaging in public dialogue in places like Twitter or content creation or media creation, that they really kind of be selective about where they focus their efforts, certainly who they listen to and where they focus their efforts in terms of what they're going to do. Just be very, very conservative about what you want to create and set the bar low. With Twitter, for example, when docs are starting out, there's always this, this sense that you've got to do the fire hose thing where you listen to 10,000 people. And for most of my physician friends, they do much, much better following 50 to 100 people who are real thought leaders and they get a lot out of that. Does that make sense? I'm afraid that what I'm hearing is you don't have the, uh, the magic bullet here. You don't have <laughs> the, I was hoping to hear some magic solution yeah. that you had come up with, some formula. No, I, I, I don't have a, a magic solution. Uh, I, I, people think that, I, that I'm constantly doing these things, and I am on a certain level. I'm constantly on Twitter, but it's, it's part of my workflow. It's part of my background. People ask me how many hours I spend, and I don't know, because if I have a no-show in clinic, I'll, I'll thumb through Twitter 45 seconds, and then I'm back to something else. And so what does that account for? So and, and so let me ask you, what's the value of Twitter in your professional life? Yeah, so it creates a human, what I call a human signal. Increasingly, the biggest, one of the biggest challenges I think going forward into the 21st century is going to be the crisis of knowledge and the crisis of information that all of us are facing, but it's especially true for physicians. So, By crisis, you mean the, the fire hose? The fire hose. If we just look at the amount of information that's being generated yep. just in our particular discipline, it's impossible to keep up with it. And so it's really great to hire or bring in your own curators who are going to bring you stuff and select the best stuff uh, for you. And so I look at the thousand people that I follow on Twitter, which is probably too many. A lot of them are really smart people or they have very unique perspectives. I don't follow just physicians. I follow people from a variety of disciplines because my best ideas come outside of medicine. And those people bring me the most remarkable things. It's funny with my colleagues here at Texas Children's, I'll sometimes raise uh, or bring articles up from obscure graduate medical education journals, things like that. And people say, how do you have the time to find these? And it's somebody curated and brought it yep. to me and stuck it in my feet. And I said, this is amazing. So that kind of human curation going forward is going to be very important for all of us. And that's the value of Twitter for me right in a, in a, in a nutshell. I would agree. And let me just paraphrase that. The value of Twitter is that based on the quality of people that I follow there, mm -hmm. they filter out a lot of the garbage for me. Yep. I also yep. like it to do searches on clinical topics that I'm trying to focus on and get a little bit educated on. Maybe outside of my area of specialization. Yeah. And I can follow tweet chats and I can do, you know, hashtag searches and find out who the influencers are, you know, who the thought leaders are and kind of rapidly come up to speed in an area. I'm trying to convince other physicians, other clinicians that Twitter has some value outside of describing what you had for breakfast. Yeah. I think we can't overlook as well the value of serendipity. I think one of the dangers of Twitter is uh, just like on the political realm, we create echo chambers where we follow people to hear the things we want to hear. Some of the real value comes, I think, with some of the oddball things that I find from people in marketing or people in uh, whatever, bring me things that, that have relevance in medicine. And, and then I make that connection. That's where some of the, the, the biggest power for my blog comes is I make connections with other things that people haven't thought of. And it's only because I listen to other people outside of medicine. So Yeah, I agree. So the question that a lot of listeners and readers will have for you is whether your time or effort 
in the digital world has benefited your clinical practice at all? That is, does it grow your practice? Um, if I would say grow my practice, um, I'm not sure that I could say that. Uh, I'm a bit of a unicorn in that I'm a pediatric gastroenterologist. There's a shortage of us, and so it's kind of it's kind of a seller's yeah, market. Your your practice is saturated no matter what. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So um, now for a for a, a adult cardiologist in a, a metropolitan market where there's two or three large competing groups, let's face it, people are starting on on the web when they're looking for information, and if you can create the content that people find, you're going to have a leg up. I mean, admittedly, it's a lot of work, but if you're truly in a competitive space like that, the media you create or the content you create is going to clearly give you a leg up. So, Good answer. I couldn't have said it better. And I, I also think independent of sort of building, building a clinical practice, there's, I mean, everyone has their own goals and aspirations. Some doctors have small businesses. Some are advocates for vaccines or bicycle helmets. Whatever you happen to do, visibility creates opportunity, and that is my mantra. Uh, the more visible I am, the luckier I get. I mean, there's no question about it. Um, and so when I create stuff, people call me, people want to talk to me, people connect with me. And when people connect with me, things happen. And when things happen, I don't know. Things happen. Yeah. Something happens, so. Excellent. Um, so anyway, so visibility creates opportunity. And then that may be with either uh, drawing in new patients or building a business or a pet business or advocacy or political action whatever. I love it. Um, I greatly appreciate your time. I know that you are swamped. It's been uh, a challenge to connect with you. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so no, sorry. no, no, no. No need to apologize. I've been there. So um, I greatly appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to, to chat with me. Um, any last minute words of uh, wisdom for the listeners? No, I would say that if you're contemplating, you know, what I call a public presence, that is, making stuff or engaging in public conversation on social networks as a physician, you now have to see this as a new responsibility that doctors have. What people find out about you is what they understand about you. This is no longer an option. Yeah, I strongly agree with uh, Wendy Sue Swanson, Seattle Mama Doc, that we as physicians have an obligation to our patient community to provide the information for them where they spend time, and that's yeah. online. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, it's been wonderful. And uh, yes, thank you. Dr. Underscore V on Twitter if people want to find me. Thank you so much for joining us. We sincerely hope that these sessions will help you to better connect with your patients. Our goal is to get you into the digital world and to get you found. Please leave a review of this podcast on iTunes, five stars, of course, and visit us at russandrandy.com for more how-to details. See you there. And until then, keep chilling.